Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I welcome Chip Conley to the show. Chip, welcome back. It's really good to hear from you. Oh, Caroline, it's, uh, you know, there's nostalgia here. I mean, I know. I feel like we've known each other for a long time. Well, I am so grateful for you. And we're going to talk about how collaborations between generations is the future of business and society and about your juicy new book. I am so excited about it. I literally devoured it on a plane ride. And you would crack up. I wish you could see this. It's a podcast, but I've got highlights and dog ears and and uh, little post-it notes so i absolutely love it and we're going to talk in more detail the book is called wisdom at work the making of a modern elder and i really want to start the story tell us what prompted you to write wisdom at work so um for those who don't know i spent 24 years as the ceo of a company that i started called joie de vivre uh, as a boutique hotel company and um I sold it uh, around my 50th birthday at the sort of the bottom of the Great Recession. And then I wasn't sure what was next. And a couple years later, the three uh, millennial co-founders of Airbnb approached me and asked me if I wanted to help them democratize hospitality. It was a small tech company at that co- at that point, And they wanted to become a global hospitality brand. And I joined them. And long story short, and we'll talk about it. But I quickly realized I was, I, was, I was the head of global hospitality and strategy and the mentor to Brian Chesky, the CEO, one of the co-founders. But quickly I learned I was as much the intern as I was the mentor. <laughs> and that's really the, the, the premise of the book is I think in midlife we need to be as much the curious learner as we are the wise sage. Yeah, beautifully put. And and you really go on to so eloquently talk about a modern elder. And I want to ask you to define that, but I want to read something that resonated with me really early on in the book. What if there was a new modern archetype of elderhood, one that was worn as a badge of honor, not cloaked in shame? That was a magic moment for me, reading that in the book. So tell us what a modern elder is. Yeah, it's... um. Let's start by saying it was a, a little controversial using the word elder because it, in many ways it sounds a lot like elderly. Mm-hmm. And, and for the last century, we've, we've in some ways diminished the idea of elders. And my point in this book is not to say we're bringing back the old school elder. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, in fact, the elder of the past, the traditional elder was held in maybe sort of some kind of reverence. But I actually think the modern elder is all about relevance. And what does that mean? It means that um, they are smart enough and uh, you know a lifelong learner enough to be to be finding out about modern problems and and applying some timeless wisdom to those problems. And so um, the modern elder is as much an intern as a ment- as they are a mentor, and their beginner's mind and catalytic curiosity. Um, is part of what makes them different than the elder of the past, who might have been dispensing wisdom but not necessarily seeking it. Yeah. And you know, what I what I love about that, too, is the humility in which you approach this. You know, you talk about um, early on feeling like you were the dumbest person in the high tech room. Tell us about that, you know, because as a seasoned, experienced leader with so much life and business and career experience to go back and say, OK, I've got a lot to learn even now. 
you know, when they asked me, the, the founders asked me to join them, I didn't really think about it, but I was 52 years old and I was joining a, joining a tech company for the first time. And I realized after the first week, I don't understand the lingo. This is like, I'm, I'm like in a foreign country. Plus, I was twice the age of the average employee. So there was a cultural lingo and almost like a generational dialect that I had to learn as well. So there was an element, and I th- as I talk about in the book, there's this first, I think the first uh, lesson of the modern elder is to learn to evolve. And that's the hardest lesson, frankly. It leads you to learning more, which is the second lesson. But evolving means you actually have to sort of edit some of your historical past identity and, and your knowledge. It doesn't mean you throw things away, but it does mean you start to reprioritize. And I'd been CEO of, of Joie de Vivre. We grew it to 3,500 employees, and then I sold it. And then all of a sudden, I'm no longer the face or the sage on the stage. I'm the the guide on the side. I'm the I'm the person behind the scenes helping these three founders be successful. Um, and also being open to being the intern publicly while I was mentoring privately, which meant that in many meetings, I was the most naive person in the room and asking a lot of why and what if questions, which are sort of like the kind of questions a four-year-old asks. Did you have that moment, though, that aha moment where you thought, I, I'm in my, my prime, right, as a modern elder, not someone who is on the other side. You know, we have these funky cultural observations about what youth is, uh, what, what age is, what seasoned is. And I just found it so refreshing that you said, look, I'm not done yet. I'm 50-something, and, and I'm in my prime. You know, there's a great Rumi quote that I, uh, Rumi the poet, in, uh, that I actually talk about in the book, or I, I start a chapter with it. He says, um, this is, and this guy's 750 years uh, old at this point, Rumi, but he's the number one selling poet in the U.S. And he said, uh, my life can be summed up in three phases. I was raw, I became cooked, and then I burned. And I, what I believe about the modern elder is that we may be raw, we might be cooked, we might be burned, and then we're raw again. Yeah. And what does that mean? It just means that you actually take yourself back to a place where you're willing to actually learn again. And my gosh, people talk about lifelong learning, and it becomes almost a bit of a cliche, but when you're actually in the, the trenches realizing, I am, yeah, I am using parts of my brain I haven't used in a while, I'm being open to being you know, humble enough to, to, to sometimes sound like the dumbest person in the room. What was really interesting is if, you know, if you're surrounded by a bunch of people half your age who are all in many, well, most of them are trying to look like the smartest person in the room, they were not focusing on questions. They were focusing on answers. They were sort of one-upping each other in terms of who knew who was smartest about whatever we were talking about. And that's why I really stuck out because I wasn't trying to answer the questions. I was actually trying to ask the questions. <laughs> and sometimes my questions were like, wow, that's a blind spot you just, you know, asked Chip because um, I was coming from a different place. So I guess the bottom line is um, we need to recognize that curiosity is almost like a life-affirming elixir, and it's sort of it's like the, the it's what's behind creativity and innovation. It creates resiliency, and so learning how to be curious again in midlife um, is part of what the book's about. Thank you for that. The resiliency is is such an important quality. And as a career coach, I'm in the trenches with many midlifers who are really in a panic because they're experiencing 
ageism, they're experiencing discrimination. And it's uh, really the last socially acceptable bias. I'd love to hear your take on that. And, and any wisdom you have for those who are facing ageism and how they might look at wisdom at work and reframe that. Yes. Well, I, I think it is the, you know, the last acceptable bias. Part, there's a, the bias is almost for some people saying, yeah, you've had your chance. And there's an element, you know, if you're a woman or you're a person of color, maybe you didn't get your chance. So that, that kind of bias feels like, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a bias that we shouldn't have. But, you know, the, 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 the age bias is like, yeah, you had your chance. Now move on. And, um, you know, in, a, in a, an economy where the unemployment rate's below 4%, we need to actually, you know, make the best of everybody. Um, and I think the key to know is that um, that it's time for us to imagine age as just in, as important of a demographic uh, marker of diversity as is gender or race. And I believe that partly because it helps to create some cognitive diversity. So cognitive diversity is a form of diversity. It basically says people think differently. And this is part of the reason why all kinds of diversity are helpful. And age is a particularly one because what the older you are, the better you are at collaboration. And, and frankly, many tech companies full of young people have a really difficult time with collaboration, especially when it's predominantly men. Uh, women are better collaborators. Older people are better collaborators. It's partly because we're better at emotional intelligence. And, you know, the reality is we're happily living longer, healthier lives, which means we're working longer. So there's been a cultural shift. The the, um, the typical 65-ish retirement age is stretched, and people are retiring in their 70s, 80s, and beyond. And, and again, in the book, you so beautifully talk about retirement is, uh, you know, defined many different ways. So the People work longer. Yeah, it, that's this is a this is a long term phenomenon. The longer we live, the more we're going to realize that you can't finance a thirty year retirement with a forty year career, ex unless you're a very fortunate person. So, generally speaking, people are going to work longer, and in some cases, it's going to be purely by choice. They, they feel like you know, retirement is not for them. So, the the question is, how do you make yourself relevant so that at seventy five or 65 or frankly in some cases at 55 you can actually feel relevant enough so you dust yourself off and say I'm going into an industry that I haven't worked in before but I've mined my mastery well enough to understand how I can make myself relevant there. Exactly right. Chip hold on we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. So Chip, coming back, I want to share another one of my favorite quotes, and that is, modern elders are somehow able to marry an air of gravitas with a spirit of humility. Tell me more about that. No, I mean, I think that's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to hear my quotes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the gravitas is, if you if you get it right, um, you get to a place in a, in a group of people or in an organization 
where people actually sort of sit forward when you when you talk because there's an element that there's an unvarnished insight that often is coming out of your out of your lips um, and you're someone who's actually open to saying things that sometimes may be the hard thing to say in the room but um, it needs to come from a place of respect and humility and the you know one of the things that I think is interesting about the tech world is many of these young leaders had to have a certain amount of hubris to be able to get the, the venture capitalists or private equity investors to, to put money up. And then they think that hubris, which was successful for the investors, is what they have to operate with. And I think the part of our process of moving from younger to older is going from hubris to humility because we've made some mistakes along the way. We know we don't, we know we don't know it all. And I think that's part of the reason why I was successful at Airbnb is I think I helped add a little bit of humility um, not that the, the founders were all, had a huge amount of hubris, but um, frankly, you know, when you started your company and your first company you ever created becomes a you know multi-billion-dollar company, um, you, you at times you don't know that you, you know you don't have the golden touch. No one has the golden touch, and so you're going to make some mistakes along the way. And and having humility allows you to um, to own those mistakes and to actually say we're going to learn from them. Yeah, the the freedom to fail forward and learn. Yeah, exactly. So do you think that wisdom at work is is just for midlifers or are you seeing it resonate to a really multi-generational audience? Couple thoughts on that. Number one is what's been fascinating uh, in the short time it's been out is how many younger people have told me they bought the book partly because they wanted to understand how to tap into that wisdom yeah. of, old, yeah. of older people. And 75% of millennials have said they would like to have a mentor. So there, you know, for a lot of us, we think, oh, they don't want, they don't want our help. In fact, they do, but they, what they don't want is they don't want their parent. <laughs> so this is why, you know, truly your job is to listen and to listen without judgment and to, to, um, to be in a place where you can be of service. And if you're in ser of service, listen, these young people would love it. So that's been one thing. Also, we created something called the Modern Elder Academy down in Baja California Sur, which is uh, just about an hour north of Cabo San Lucas. And what's been interesting there, it's basically a, a one-week and two-week program for people in midlife to actually help repurpose themselves uh, with a curriculum and uh, three acres on the beach. It's quite amazing. Well, it's interesting. We have lots and lots of people in their 30s and early 40s applying to come to the Modern Elder Academy. Wow. And that surprised me. It surprised me. And it's basically people saying, I'm aspiring for wisdom. I want to learn how to become wiser. And so it's an interesting thing. I thought, okay, it would be just people in midlife, and midlife is 45 to 65, but I really do believe midlife is now 35 to 75 because some people in their mid-30s in certain industries, especially technology, can feel uh, start to feel irrelevant, and uh, people are going to work longer. So what used to be a crisis and only 20 years long is now a, mar a marathon and 40 years long. What a great way to celebrate uh, extended cognitive diversity, though. I'm, I'm thrilled that you're getting such great interest in the Modern Elder Academy. I read about it in Forbes, and I'm so glad you brought it up because I, I saw the piece, and it just looks wildly exciting, and it, it's, it's going well. It's the first midlife wisdom school in the world, and I think it will not be the last. Um, we're probably about to announce our second location soon, and, and I think there will be a lot of other people who will say, yeah, there's people in midlife who want to go and do a week or two weeks somewhere where they can actually sort of repurpose themselves. And, um, you know, it, it, we sort of – the way we used to think of life is you fuel up with all your learning um, in your early years, and then you, you know, drive your vehicle – 
um, into retirement, but by, you know, by midlife, we're sort of running on empty and especially in a world that's changing so quickly. So it's like, we're like a refueling stop in midlife. I love it. A battery recharge. So give us, give us one tip perhaps from the Modern Elder Academy about how boomers and millennials or even Gen Z can better understand, but more importantly, chips support each other. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the things, you know, it, 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 I'm going to stereotype for a moment, so I want to be careful so everybody understands this is not everybody. But generally speaking, younger people are better at digital. They have the DQ, digital intelligence, and older people are better at the EQ, the emotional intelligence. And that emotional intelligence can show up in leadership skills in terms of how to, how to collaborate on a team, et cetera. Once you know that, and again, if that fits you, um, you do, you, one of the things that we need to help you to learn is that you have some amazing skills, especially around collaboration, that young teams could des- desperately use. So the book and the academy are very much focused on how do you shift your mindset? How do you start to learn about things you don't know? How do you get clear on your mastery? How do you mine your mastery such that you get clearer on if you had 10 minutes to give a TED talk um, and you were going to do a very short TED talk and you're going to say, here's all I know. And you're giving that to some people in their thirties. What is it that you'd tell them? Um, that feels like just your fingerprints. And so we actually help people at, at the Academy, um, almost create that kind of, uh, their own TED talk. Wow. That's awesome. You know, one of the, the uh, chapters in the book is called rewire don't retire. And again, because people are, are living and working longer, often that, that next leg of that life and career journey after that classic career looks different. And I love that you're empowering people to design that on their own. Yeah, there's so many ways you can rewire. I mean, for some people, they go to Encore.org and they learn how to, to work in the nonprofit sector or social enterprise. Um, in other cases, you have <clears throat> women coming back into the workplace uh, and sometimes men, but more often it's women after having maybe three kids and they've been out of the workplace for 20 years. And so they're rewiring themselves to frankly understand what LinkedIn is. I mean, yeah. for many, many people don't like, they don't even have the skills because a lot of the skills are relatively new in terms of how do you market yourself? How do you, how do you prepare yourself? So we, we, we really work in many ways with, um, we have a, a session at the Academy, which is um, everything you always wanted to know about tech but we're afraid to ask <laughs> sort of like that old book, you know, sex is afraid to ask of many years ago. And, and it's interesting. People learn about Instagram and Slack and how to, you know, how to understand your iPhone even better. So, um, you know, there's, I, th- I think the biggest lesson for everybody here is don't be frightened by being a learner in midlife. That's awesome. You, you also talk beautifully in the book about how older, more seasoned, the modern elder are more open to self-improvement and less defensive about criticism because we've evolved, right? So we're, we're focusing on improving instead of just proving ourselves. I bet that has resonated incredibly well. That's the mindset book by Carol Dweck and re- evolving yourself to a place where you have a growth mindset um, is really important because it means you're you're really interested in improving and learning, um, and also I think there's an element that you know as you move from younger to older, you you sort of move from the ego to the soul, and there's an element of you know realizing that um, I think maybe it's a little bit of the physical side as we get older, we realize okay we're a little more humble, um, and then we 
also get emotionally smarter. And I think our emotional peak as humans is really in midlife and beyond. And, and that's when, frankly, a lot of people like working with us because we have an empathy both for ourselves and others that we maybe were lacking in our 20s or 30s. Is there any one thing, Chip, that you're hoping that the book will bring about or inspire? I would love to see companies, chapter nine in the book, it's the next to last chapter, is really a, a call to action to the companies of the world to, to look at how they create a better uh, collaboration amongst generations with five generations in the workplace for the first time. So the number one thing I'd love to see is that company HR departments and CEOs take this company, give it to senior leaders and say, how can we um, operate this way? Because uh, it's going to be more effective for us especially with so many generations in the workplace at the same time. Awesome. Chip, thank you so much for joining me today. I was so excited to have this conversation about how we can reframe lifetime experience and remain relevant in the workplace. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Honor to be with you, Karen. And the book is called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And it's available, of course, on Amazon and at all major book retailers. Please check it out. It'll be worth your effort. And hey, if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps helps people find us online and let us know what career-minded issues you would like for us to discuss on a future show. You can find me at Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And I want to always recognize my extraordinary podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, our Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, our Executive Producer. Thank you for your extraordinary work to make this show awesome. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening.